The love of the newborn child, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be with you all and fill you with comfort, power, life, and joy, both now and forever. Amen. What do you want to see before you die? It's an interesting thought experiment, isn't it? For some of us, it's the thrill of watching our kids grow up, for them to get married and perhaps become parents. For others, it's, it's getting to travel to that dreamy but expensive location. Some of you only want to see your favorite sports team win something for once. Just for once. <laughs> we're, we're all strung along in life. We're strung along by some end goal. If we can only sink our teeth into it, if we can only see it and experience it, we think that we'll be able to die happy. And tragically, we often orient our entire lives around that one thing, around meeting that one goal or having that one experience. And when it comes, you know what happens? We wonder what all the fuss was about. And even though we should know better as Christians, we've really been duped. We've been duped into believing that the next raise or the next promotion, the retired life, the third or fourth car, this or that mountaintop experience will deliver peace and comfort. The peace and comfort that we are so desperate for. And so we find ourselves chasing after the wind, scratching and clawing at the surface of the earth, clawing our way through life so that we can track down these fun, glittery bubbles that ultimately burst whenever we catch them. Now, the good news of Christmas shatters this delusion. That comfort and that peace that we're striving for, that inexpressible joy that always seems to slip through our fingers, everything that we would ever want to see before we die cannot be gained by human striving. Instead, it's freely given to us as a gift of God in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is consolation incarnate. He is comfort in the flesh. And the fact that He comes to us as a baby and not some imposing warlord, it shows us something. The fact that He comes to us as a baby shows us that God's desire for us is to be reconciled to Him and not judged by Him. The infant Jesus is God's olive branch to us. His peace offering. It's His consolation for our guilty and burdened consciences. And since this great gift comes to us as not just an idea and not just as an abstraction, but since He comes to us as a flesh and blood man, we can lay hold of Him. We can even sink our teeth into Him as we will see. In our gospel lesson today, we see that after Jesus is circumcised and named at eight days old, he is brought to the temple at 40 days old so that his mom, Mary, could undergo the old covenant rite of purification. Mary and Joseph were to bring a sacrifice 
so that Mary could be ritually and ceremonially clean according to God's law after giving birth. So we're told that they brought two pigeons or turtle doves. And this was allowed by God. This was the smallest and and cheapest, so to speak, sacrifice that one could bring. If you couldn't afford a lamb, you were to acquire a pair of turtle doves or pigeons. And what this tells us is that Mary and Joseph were poor. This is the extent that Jesus emptied Himself for you and me when He took on human flesh. He was not born into a royal family. He was born among the poor and the lowly. And the other reason Jesus' parents brought Him to the temple was to consecrate Him to the Lord, as was the requirement for the firstborn son of every Jewish household, according to Exodus 13, which was our Old Testament reading this morning. Why is any of this important? Why all these details? And why all this context? Well, it's, it's helpful to remember that everything that Jesus does in the Scriptures, He does for us and for our salvation, as the Nicene Creed teaches us. He does it for us and for our salvation. Did He do any of these things for Himself? No. He took on flesh in His conception for you. He was born in Bethlehem and laid in a cattle trough for you. He was circumcised and brought under God's law for you. He was a regular Jewish kid living a life in complete obedience to God's Word for you. Because you know what? You and I couldn't do it. And we cannot do it. See, even in the early days of Jesus' life as a baby, He is working for your salvation. And we're told of a man in the temple named Simeon. This man is righteous and devout. He's, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, is what the text says. Not only was the Holy Spirit upon him, the Spirit also had told him that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon had this special promise from God that he was going to hang in there long enough to see the very thing for which his heart desired. The thing that his heart longed for. This was a faithful man. It was a, he was a pious, devout Jew. His life was shaped by God's promises in the Scriptures. He was waiting with great anticipation, with eagerness. He waited for the comfort and consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Well, this was a term that was used in the book of Isaiah. To speak of God's salvation and His forgiveness. The comfort and consolation of Israel that, we, that would be brought about by the Messiah. The faithful servant of the Lord who would fulfill the law in Israel's place. Who would die an atoning death. Who would bring about salvation not only for Israel, but for the entire world. This is what Simeon was waiting for. And good thing Simeon had the Holy Spirit upon him. Otherwise he might have missed seeing Jesus. See, Jesus wouldn't have been the only baby there in the temple that day. There was, there was likely several other mothers there who were going through the same ceremonial rites. They were bringing their babies up to offer them up to the Lord, to, to pay the redemption price, which was five shekels, to go through that ceremonial rite of purification as a mother. 
Now, when Jesus was brought into the temple, Simeon, because he had the Spirit upon him, knew that this was all of God's promises coming to fulfillment in this tiny baby. This baby is Israel's consolation and comfort. He is the forgiveness of sins and salvation in the flesh so that we can hold Him. So that we can hold Him. And Simeon is compelled to do just that. Mary hands him the baby and Simeon responds in much the same way that we saw Mary respond in our sermon text from last week. She was told that she was to conceive, so Mary responded. It's the same way that the angels reacted whenever they brought the news to the shepherds who were keeping watch. It's the same way that John the Baptist's daddy did when his tongue was loosed by the angels. He sings. This hymn of praise and thanksgiving is now known to us as the Nunc Dimittis. The Nunc Dimittis. That's Latin for now depart. It's the first words of the hymn in Latin. And it's been used in the church's liturgy and worship. It's been used in the Lutheran liturgy and worship since the early days. And it confesses that we, along with Simeon, know that Jesus is comfort and consolation incarnate. Listen to the words. Simeon sings this. He sings, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for, and for glory to your people Israel. Translation. Now I'm ready to die at any moment. In this baby, in this baby, you have fulfilled your promise to the nations to bring blessing and salvation for not only Israel, but for the whole world. I can die happy now. See, he, he holds the infant Jesus in his arms and he's totally content to die after he leaves because he knows that nothing can get better than this this side of heaven. There's nothing better. I've seen everything that I ever wanted to see in this infant Jesus. He didn't have to strive for peace and for comfort and for salvation that God had promised. It had been delivered to him in this lowly baby, this little child. And Simeon has some words for Mary, but we're going to get to that in just a moment. At the end of the text, we're we're introduced to another faithful Israelite. This time, it is this prophetess named Anna. She was a widow. She was getting up there. She was advanced in years. And she was spending the remainder of her days since widowhood in prayer and devotion and temple worship. So she too is a pious, devout woman. She's faithful to her Lord. She's trusting in His promises waiting upon Him to deliver the consolation of Israel. And see how she reacts whenever she sees the Lord Jesus. The passage says, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. In other words, her response to seeing God's promises fulfilled in this child, this infant, was... Faithful proclamation. 
speaking, proclaiming God's salvation in the vocation which God had placed her. Bringing the good news of great joy that the Savior is born, that He's come to redeem, that in Him there is the forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation. She was just this aging widow. She was living out her days in the temple. She had very limited influence. But that didn't stop her from sharing the gospel with anyone that she met. That didn't stop her from spreading the good news, proclaiming the excellencies of her Lord to anyone that she met in her daily rhythm. And so she, like Simeon, is a, a faithful example to us a faithful example of real Christian devotion and real Christian spirituality. She believed fully what she had been given in that infant Jesus. She had been given salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life. And she believed it so much that it compelled her to give glory to God and to share His faithfulness with others. But the truth, church, the truth is that we often don't respond that way to the good news. We don't respond in the way that we want to or ought. We're often cold to the gospel message. We are hardened. We are hardened towards the grace of God. And in our hardness of heart, in our unbelief, we're often driven more by the whims of our flesh than we are by the Spirit. There are times where we do not rejoice in the gift of the Savior. The world itself is so corrupted by sin that this giving of the Son is rejected and even despised and hated. As Simeon told Mary... He said, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, Mary, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. He would be despised. Jesus would be hated, rejected by men. His lowly estate the humble form of a servant that He assumed to Himself when He came to us as a man, led people to think that He's no King. He's no Savior. He's not even all that impressive to look at. No King would ever be poor and lowly from backwoods Nazareth, after all. That's not what a King is supposed to look like. But as Simeon foretold in those words to Mary and Joseph, even when Jesus was a baby, even when He was a baby, meek and mild, that cross loomed over Him because that's what He came to do. The world that He came to so hated Him that it put Him on a cross 
But he so loved the world that he used the cross for its redemption, for your redemption, for your salvation, brothers and sisters. This is the love of God for you in Christ. That the Lord of glory would step down from heaven to become a lowly babe, to be born under the law into poverty, to fulfill God's law for you. To take your sin and guilt and to lay it on himself and be nailed to a cross so that he would be raised three days later for your justification. And more than that, the, the forgiveness and the eternal life that he won for us in his incarnation and in his suffering and his death, he now freely distributes to us. Just as Jesus took on flesh and became human so that Simeon could hold him in his arms and grab, grab onto him and lay hold of him and cling to him, Jesus ever remains both true God and true man so that we can lay hold of him. And into, in the Lord's Supper, He comes to us, church. In the Lord's Supper, He comes to us under the humble forms of bread and wine as both God and man. Because He is man, He has flesh and blood. And because He is God, He can be present wherever He wants. And He uses this ability to come to us in a way that we can eat and drink His body and blood, and therefore we receive His salvation and the fruits of His victory on Calvary. This is what our Savior delights to do for us. He delights to be with us, poor, miserable sinners. He delights to deliver His gifts to us again and again and again. And so we respond to the great gift of our Lord and Savior as Simeon and as Anna did. We, we leave this place, we leave this worship service ready to die, ready to die in peace at any moment. Because our eyes have seen His salvation. We've even tasted His salvation in this Holy Supper. We can take our gaze off of the, the paltry things of this world. We can fix them on our Savior who always promises to be present with His church for our consolation and for our comfort. And we can, like Anna, bring the proclamation of the good news into our vocations. We can bring the Gospel into our vocations. Those places in life where God has placed you. Those callings. Whatever age that you are, whatever, whatever job that God has you doing, whatever your relationship to your family, God has called you to live faithfully within that vocation, giving thanks to Him, praise to Him in all things. And in that calling, giving love and service to your neighbor in the Gospel with both words and good works. This is what God has for you. So brothers and sisters, I encourage you not to move past Christmas too quickly. Don't move past it too quickly. Continue the celebration with us. Think upon, 
Rejoice. Rest in what God has done for you through the giving of His Son and what He continues to do for you here and now and what He finally will do for you on the last day when our Lord comes for you. May He preserve you in the one true faith. May He give you the joy of Simeon and Anna until that day He comes. Amen.